Welcome to Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel, with helpful travel tips, news and events, destination profiles, great stories, and expert advice from seasoned and experienced traveling anglers. This is your backstage pass to the world of fishing travel. Waypoints is fueled by adventure and brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing, a hands-on specialty travel and booking company that delivers the industry's very best insider knowledge, logistical support, and trip preparation. Freshwater or saltwater, international or domestic, Yellow Dog has you covered. And now your host, Yellow Dog founder and director, Jim Klug. Tucker Ladd is the owner of Trout's Fly Fishing, a Denver, Colorado-based fly shop and outfitting service. Tucker has spent his entire professional career in the fly fishing industry, where he has worked as a fishing guide, fly shop employee, and now as a shop owner with two locations. Over the years, Tucker has guided in Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, and Alaska, and fished extensively across the globe. In 2005, Tucker's dream of owning a fly shop was realized when he purchased Trouts, the same fly shop where he had learned to fish as a young man. Over the past 15 years, Tucker has grown Trouts into the industry-leading fly shop that it is today. Like many in the industry, fly fishing is more than just a hobby and career for Tucker. It's a lifestyle that keeps him close to the natural world and one that routinely takes him to amazing places. Tucker, welcome to the show, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jim. Well, this is great. How uh, How's the shop business these days? What's the fly shop world look like? You know, the fly shop world, at least in our neck of the woods, has been booming. You know, the Denver Front Range is just on a major growth curve, uh, growing like a weed, uh, coming off of a great summer and winter of snow. So we've had some, some good flows through the summertime, lack of fires. Um, you know, it's been great. You know, overall, the interest in fly fishing really seems to be on the rise. You know, our demographic of customers kind of, you know, somewhere between the age of nine to 90. So it's a pretty, pretty broad spread. Nice. And, and how's the overall retail landscape these days? You know, the fly shop situation, the general gear market for fly fishing. What's the 10,000 foot view from your perspective? You know, fly fishing is just, a, it's a, like I said earlier, it's a growing sport. We've got such a diverse demographic of customers that, you know, it's really more about how can we target, you know, our millennials or our Gen X or our baby boomers. Um, you know, right now, millennials are our number one customer base, which is really cool to see. But they're they're bringing new things to the sport and really coming at the sport from a different direction. I mean, we've seen people moving through the sport from getting into it to taking their first guided trip to even, you know, what we're going to be talking about, taking that first destination trip really expedited where it's not taking decades. It's really just taking years. Um, there's also a lot more, you know, experiential spending is what we're calling it. So it's people that are they see the value in making the purchase and how that ultimately enhances their time on the water. and you know, makes the sport of fly fishing that much more fun. Well, I got to say, you guys have one of the more successful shops in the country. Uh, and it's, it's a great store. I'm not just saying that to you know, blow smoke, but you walk into Trout's in Denver and you immediately think to yourself, you know, this feels like a real fly shop. And, and as part of the experiential kind of process of fly fishing, that, that is a big part of it. I mean, your business, in my opinion, is the very definition of a specialty shop. And, and though, you know, it's, it's one that provides a ton of resources to customers. And that's key. I mean, not only for, for local anglers that, that live here and fish in your immediate area, but to those that travel and fish. And, you know, when you talk about resources, tell me a little bit about how a traveling angler can get more out of their local fly shop. What kind of things can a, a great specialty retailer do and offer for anglers that travel? 
Well, I think it starts for me. I mean, I'm, I've got a unique background as it pertains to trouts and my history there. As you noted, I was, a, you know, that's where I started fly fishing. It's where I went for advice. It's where I went to buy my gear. And I learned a lot. And what I always loved about trouts, you know, starting out as a, as a teenager in the sport back in the 80s or 90s, I'm sorry, it wasn't, it was, it was a different market than it is these days. And I found that, you know, what I loved about trouts is that it, they didn't care how old I was. They didn't care how much I spent. It was more about just offering the positive customer experience. So when I took over Trouts, that was our, you know, our main MO. That was our, our path to success was treat every customer just as if you would want to be treated. You know, whether they're spending a dollar, a thousand dollars or more, you got to treat them and offer the experience that ultimately people are coming in the door to, to, to get. So first and foremost is, you know, you got to build that rapport with your fly shop, you know, know the employees, talk to the employees, you know, ask them questions. Um, they're there to, you know, they're, we're your path. You were, we're your guide through the sport, whether you're, going trout fishing for the first time or looking to take that first destination trip. And, you know, we talk about that all the time, uh, you know, the importance of the specialty fly shop to the sport of fly fishing, because this isn't an easy sport to pick up on your own. I mean, there's a little bit of a barrier to entry as far as just having someone that'll teach you and, and help you along the path. It, it's you know not like um, some sports where you can just kind of pick it up, watch a few videos and go out and do it on your own. I mean, there's a learning curve here that can be made so much easier when you, as you just said, have someone that will guide you through that process, answer the questions. Because, you know, sometimes it's a little intimidating. There is a lot to know about fly fishing. Oh, absolutely. But keep in mind, we've all been exactly where that customer is on the other side of the counter or on the other side of the phone for you guys. Um, you know, for us, it's just about, it's just the customer service experience. You know, how can we make your time on the water that much better? I mean, we're invested in your time. If you you come into our shop and we're not providing you the best advice we're not selling you the right flies we're selling you the wrong size leader or tippet well that's a negative experience for you on the water and then you're not coming back you're not talking positively about us it's you know the customer review i mean the the, the idea that you know happy customer is going to tell one person and an upset customer is going to tell 10 plus people so right. it's all about you know making sure that when you leave not only did you have a great experience but then that experience extends onto your time on the water and you know, to use, I mean, there are different fly shops out there. I mean, I, I think Trouts offers a really unique experience to the Denver Front Range area and up in the, out of our Frisco location. And I know that there's some tremendous shops all across the country that, that offer an equal service. Well, and, and that's why we're such fans of, of the specialty fly shop. You know, we tell our customers who come from all over the country and all over the world, you know, we always ask them, well, okay, here, you know, here's the gear list. We're going to uh, get into some pretty big detail on the type of equipment you need specific to the destination to which you're traveling. But one of my first questions is always, who's your local fly shop? And if they say, oh, you know, I just go into Amazon and I just look for a great deal or I order it from anybody. I always say, well, you know, pump the brakes, find a great fly shop, whether it's in your hometown or somewhere else, but somebody that really knows their business when it comes to specialty retail and, and some of them can be a resource for getting you taken care of. Um, we always tell people, for instance, to take their gear and packing list that we provide, take them in, uh, to the local shop, there's going to be a team of people that know the equipment, that really know the differences in the equipment. And, and a lot of those people that work in the shops, they might know your destination to which you're headed, or perhaps they've been there. That A lot of them certainly know destination travel as a whole, and they can really help you out. Well, I think that you know part of my job as a fly shop owner is I need to experience the things that my customers are going to experience. So whether it's fishing with that new rod or trying that new fly or going to that destination, it's it's part of my job that I need to do that. And it's, I mean, it's, it's why I love doing what I get to do is I get a, you know, an excuse to travel and see different places that I wouldn't otherwise. And, 
to your point, I mean, the, the, the specialty fly shop is an integral part of the whole sport of fly fishing. I mean, this isn't, you know, golf where you get into it and you have your clubs and I can buy a sleeve of balls when I, before I tee off. I mean, it's, you're invested because you need flies, you need leader, you need all of that. And it's a sport that, you know, offers an, you know, a never ending ability to grow and, and learn. And that's where we're, where we come to the equation. I like how you say, you know, it, it, it's part of your job is to go to these places. That's what I tell my wife too. I say, you know, how does that I, go over for you? I don't want to go, go really well back me. to Belize. I don't want to go, you know, to South America. I have to, it's, it's my job. And then she of course laughs at me and walks away. But yeah, we, we all try. <laughs> <laughs> We've all tried to use that one before, but uh, you know, one thing I want to talk about, and this is so crucial, uh, casting lessons, right? So basic and so important, oftentimes so overlooked when it comes to trip prep. If, if everyone that we worked with, that we sent off around the world, if they're headed off on a trip package, especially headed to the saltwater, if people would just take a single casting lesson or, or get a couple of one-on-one sessions in before they went to their destination, it would make a huge difference. And it's always amazing to me that people will spend a lot of money, they'll spend a lot of time on destination angling, and a large percentage of them won't even pull out their rods or rig them up until they arrive at their destination on the very first morning. And I don't have to agree. And I'd say that the two things that we see people, you know, put the least amount of emphasis on is gear mm-hmm. and then pre- preparation. You know, every trip is going to offer a different experience. If you're going to the lodge in Argentina, you're going to be trout fishing. You have a pretty good idea what that's going to be. You're going to go fish for peacock bass in the Amazon. Well, you better get ready for a week of getting your ass completely kicked and handed to you. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a completely like a different. Of cast a I mean, your hand is going to hurt more than you ever thought possible. <laughs> Um, and casting, I think it's not just destination, it's trout fishing in general. I mean, it's, you know, being up on the Colorado in the summer and, you know, watching someone try to cast a, a stone fly 20 feet to a rising trout and they can't get it more than five feet in front of them. I mean, we have de-emphasized the, the idea of casting so much in our sport just to get people into it a little bit simpler, which it's been great. I mean, we've, we've, we've minimized the growth or the, the entry curve. It's, it's a lot easier than it used to be. But we've taken a fundamental component of, of fly fishing out of it, which is casting. And it's, in all honesty, one of my favorite parts of the sport. So I think that, you know, for when it comes to destination trips, it really depends on what it is. But I, I can think of very few destinations where at least I've been where casting wasn't a integral part of, you know, getting connected to that fish. So for us, you know, education and having those resources for our customers has been a hugely productive and successful model. So we offer beginner casting lessons for the person that just kind of, you know, whether you're just going to go on a trip to Montana and you just want to hone in your casting or be better at it because you know you're going to be fishing dry flies and not slinging a thingamabobber over your shoulder um, to, you know, private one-on-one lessons, which tend to be for, you know, trout fishing customers that are going on their first destination trip and they're just, they need to get that double haul or at least learn what the double haul is. And then we also offer what we call our saltwater prep class, which is taught by our Frisco uh, regional store manager, Zeke Hurst, who's a uh, registered captain. Um, so he's been a guy down in the Florida Keys for a number of years. And he teaches his class and it's everything from, you know, casting to, you know, understanding distance to how to communicate with your guide. So it's everything so that when you get on that flats boat for the first time, it's not this, what am I doing experience, but you actually have an idea of, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing and how we're going to make this work. Yeah, there's already a big learning curve when you go to a new destination, when you're fishing with a guide, especially if maybe there's a little bit of a language barrier, but the best thing you can do as a traveling angler is, is do as much prep work as possible. So you show up and you're in the game 
And I talk to guides all over the world. And it's the one thing they say when I, no matter where they work, no matter what type of you know, fish they're chasing, where they happen to be located, I ask them all the time, you know, what would you tell a client before they get here? How can they better prepare? And they all say, man, practice your casting. It, 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 universally, every guide says that. Seems so remedial, so basic. But again, we see so many people that they don't even string their rod till the first morning on location, on their trip. And it's like, it's going to take you three days just to get comfortable with this. You're only there for six. You know, do a little bit of work on the front end. Again, this is where that specialty shop comes into play. Get a casting lesson. Use the resources of working with someone one-on-one, just a little bit of prep before you go. And it's going to make a massive difference in the enjoyment and and ultimately the success of your trip. Well, I also think that in in line with that is is temper your expectations. I mean, that's what I've seen on so many hosted trips that I've done is, you know, that one client that comes in and they're, you know, they're going to catch a grand slam or they're going to catch that first permit and their mind just isn't in the right place. I mean, if it's your first trip, it's not going to go 100%. You're going to you're going to screw up, you're going to miss fish. I mean, just enjoy the experience as much as you can because every time you do it, you're going to get a little bit better, you're going to learn a lot more. And the more you can just be a sponge and appreciate that you're in a new environment doing something that you've never done before and temper those expectations and be there to learn, that's going to set you up for more success than, you know, wanting to get that gripping grin fish picture that you can show off to all your friends at home. Now, that is great advice and uh, really, again, applicable no matter where you're headed out in the, in the world of fishing. Well, let me ask you this as a shop owner, what are some of the most common questions that you answer for anglers who are coming into the shop. Uh, maybe they're again headed to Argentina, they're headed to the Yucatan or Alaska, some sort of destination trip. Uh, there have to be some things that that you answer on a pretty regular basis. Absolutely. Number one, what do I really need for this trip? Because they have your packing list or someone else's packing list, and they're coming in, they're saying, I don't want to have to get all this. What's the bare minimum that I can walk out of here with for the lowest dollar amount? And this isn't every customer, but I'd right. say this is a, a, a frequent one. Is is what do I really need? And our answer normally is, well, everything. I mean, if, they, if they're recommending that this is what you have, we would recommend that you have that. And if that's not in the budget, well, then let's whittle it down to what are the, the truly necessary, you know, meat and potato items that you're going to need to have. And, and we'll you know, find those compromises because, listen, we understand. I mean, whether you're getting in trout fishing or you're going on your first trip. I mean, I really look at that first destination trip as like, it's like your second evolution into fly fishing because you've gotten into it and now you're going outside of your comfort zone, outside of your home waters, and you're going to experience something different, which probably is going to be in a pretty cool place. And that's why we do what we do. I mean, that's why, I mean, there's so many cool places that I've been able to travel with a fly rod in hand that I never would have visited in my life had I been golfing or hunting or skiing or whatever. And that's the beauty of this, right? So we have to, you know, our job is to understand and to help it make it the most comfortable process as comfortable process as possible and that's by not pressuring you into getting a bunch of stuff you don't need but making sure that you get everything that you do need um another good question um that we get is can i just take one rod you know i'm going i'm going down to mexico i'm I'm just going to take a nine weight and it's like well okay that would work you know we do just take a five weight when we go trout fishing or an eight weight when we're going to go bass fishing but we need to have a little you know depending on the destination you might need to kind of you know, have a bit more rod offerings than what you typically would going trout fishing. Um, another one was, you know, difference between cold water and warm water fly lines. I mean, this is a huge one. It's a big one. I mean, it's like, well, I've got this, you know, I've got a a bass or an eight weight line on my, for, I'll use for bass and and pike. Can I use that? Like, no, that's not really going to be such a common mistake. And we talk about it all the time. Someone will come in though. 
they'll spend big money on a brand new bone fishing rod, right? Big money on a brand new reel. And then they say, you know, that, that cold water, you know, steelhead line that I've had for years is barely used. I'll just put that on the oh, side. Yeah. And it, huge problems. Well, and they come down and I mean, they're, you're having a miserable time because you can't cast it's it like all. casting a piece of wet spaghetti. It it's just a, I mean, work. that's the analogy we use all yeah. the time. Or you take your saltwater line and try to go up pike fishing in Canada with it. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're just beating your head against a wall. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of it's about travel. You know, what, what can I take on a plane? What should I check? You know, packing is a big question that we encounter quite a bit. And that's a moving target. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, but you know, it, it depends with that answer. It depends on the destination because every country has different rules. Every airlines have different rules and not only are they changing all the time, but sometimes they're arbitrary and, oh, yeah. uh, and we deal with, with those questions all the time. Uh, but you know, one of the things about destination angling is we know it's, it's usually not a cheap pastime. I mean, trip packages can be spendy. You've got your flights and the logistics. And then of course you have the gear and, uh, obviously you're in the business to sell gear, but are there ways that an angler can, can kid himself or herself out for a new destination or fishery without totally breaking the bank? I mean, are there some options there? Absolutely. I mean, there's endless options. It's just a matter of understanding what the budget is, where you're going and finding the best solution. I mean, if you if all you can really do is one rod and you can't rent a rod and you're going to Mexico, well, then maybe you're just bone fishing for the week. And that's, but that's totally cool. Um, I think it's, you know, in terms of how to minimize the cost is first going into your destination trip with a holistic view of what the price is going to be. And it doesn't end at the lodge or the guide or that. I mean, you got hotel, you've got your, you know, drinks or evening activities, you got gratuity, and then you've got the gear on top of that. So before you buy in on a, on a destination, be sure that you've done the research and you understand, okay, this is actually going to cost a little bit more than what I thought it would be. And then you're able to really set yourself up for success. Otherwise, I mean, rentals are a great option. Um, you know, we offer rentals from trout rods all the way up to tarpon and, you know, GT rods. Yeah, you're starting to see a lot more of that in the business. Well, days. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, not everyone is in the market for a thousand dollar setup. I'm going to use for five days a year. We totally understand that. Now with that said, I've, I've, I've experienced or witnessed very few people that have gone on that first destination trip that haven't gone again and again. So you do need to look at it as a long-term investment that, you know, you're going to fish that rod for a week every year. Well, you're going to get a lot of years out of that use. But the rentals are a great way where you can, you know, go buy an eight weight, rent a, a nine and an 11 weight. So you're covered for, you know, the other species you might encounter. And then the next year you buy a nine weight and then you're only running one rod. Um, we try to make it affordable for our customers. I mean, we, the gear does cost us money, so we've got to, you know, cover our end. But we try to make it so that it's a lesser investment than what it would be to go buy a new rod. And then the other part is that, you know, manufacturers are getting really good at making equipment that's not super expensive. You know, while we had all like the, you know, $1,200 Loomis Asquith, that's not necessarily in the, in the budget for everyone. So, you know, Reddington, Sage, um, Temple Fork, Echo. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there that make really good stuff for a really good price. It may not be the best, but there's certainly, you know, good quality items out there. Well, and that brings up a good point. Let me ask you about that. So there are so many options these days for, for different brands, purchasing different gear, uh, a lot of it is, you know, manufactured overseas in China or Korea, other places. And that doesn't disqualify a piece of equipment or a rod or reel or whatever from, from being decent or, or from functioning, certainly. But honestly, you know, how do you distinguish quality gear from junk? And I ask this because it's so important when you're at a destination, you're 8,000 miles from the closest fly shop. You don't have the option of running down the street and replacing something if it breaks. What, what you brought with you for that week or that trip that's all that you're going to have. So, you know, there is 
yeah, there are options out there to spend less money, but how do you determine between what's still quality and what's junk so that you're not having gear failure when you've invested all of the rest of this money and time into getting where you're going? Well, we all know that everything written on the internet is true. So that's <laughs> normally the best place to start, right? No, there you go. Ju- just there you kidding go. completely. Um, your fly shop. I mean, we get, I mean, what I tell people when they come in the door is, you know, we're fortunate that we have access to a lot of the brands in the industry, you know, that want to be on our shelf. So what I tell people is if it's not in here, I'm not willing to put my name and my brand behind it. And thus, I don't think that it's going to be the right piece of gear for you. If you don't have the local fly shop, you know, there's online reviews, you know, maybe call some people go, you know, go, if you go to a manufacturer's website, they're going to have a dealer locator and they'll have normally their preferred dealers listed. Call one of them up. I mean, these are stores that have used the gear, have been to the destination where you're going to, and they're going to, they're, they're going to understand it the best. The reality, I mean, we got to separate rods and reels because manufacturing of each of those is very, very different. So rods is a very hands-on process. You go to any USA rod factory and you're going to have anywhere from 30 to 50 people that touch every single rod that goes out the door, whether that's a $300 rod or a thousand plus dollar rod. So it's a, it's an art. I mean, whether it's the, you know, creating the blank to how it's rolled to the wraps. I mean, it's, it's an art form and it's, it's, it takes a certain skill set to be able to do that. So a rod that's made say in, you know, Scott in Montrose, Colorado versus overseas in China. Yeah. I'd say that the USA rod is going to, you know, it's going to perform better. It's going to be more durable and you're going to enjoy your time on the water a lot more with that. So if you can buy USA made, it's going to give you the best option. From there, there are some good, reputable, made overseas brands. You know, our preferred brand would be Reddington and Orvis. Um, Those are two brands that we know manufacture really good quality product overseas, but it's going to come at a lesser price point. So you're not getting the Made in USA label, but it's still something that I'm going to feel really comfortable sending you on a trip with. A good example would be the Orvis Clearwater. You know, if you need a good tarpon rod, that's an amazing entry-level rod. Is it going to be as good as you know, an Orvis H3, absolutely not, but it's going to get the job done. It's going to land you some fish. It'll, you know, it'll connect you to those fish as well. Reels on the other hand, now we're talking, you know, CNC machining. So it's where is that machine and who's pressing the go button. So I think it means a little bit less and you can find some really good quality reels for really good prices um, that you may not find in a USA made reel. Well, that's, that's really good advice on that. But, you know, at the end of the day, one thing I always tell our, our traveling anglers is figure it out, look at your budget, but buy the best gear possible and know that it's going to perform, have confidence in it. You know, if you're spending, let's say 6,000 on the trip package, another couple thousand on flights, then you've got tips, gratuities, bar tab, all of those other elements you you mentioned a moment ago. Not only is it the money, you're also taking your valuable vacation days. All right. All, all told, you know, you're investing a lot in this trip. You know, you don't want to kind of go most of the way in on, on, on certain things. And then you buy a bargain basement fly line or you know, uh, you see old spools of fluorocarbon that are being in the, you know, they're sitting up in the closeout bin next to the front window, you know, or a cheap reel with a questionable drag. I mean, buy quality gear and know that it's not going to fail on you when it counts most. You're, you're spending so much time and money and effort and emotional involvement in these trips. Don't let the gear be the the one piece that ends up being negative. For well, you let me ask trip. you a question. So is there, do you think that there's a, a percentage of trip costs that you would recommend that, you know, so if a, if a trip is $5,000, is there a percentage of that that you think that the customer in the back of their mind should have as a, well, if it's going to be a $5,000 trip, I should probably be spending this amount on. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, but I, I think it depends. If, is it your first saltwater trip? All right. That is going to be a, a front end investment, but 
Um, as we talked about a moment ago, these rods and reels, you know, most of the stuff doesn't have an expiration date on it. So you invest, spend the extra amount of money to get a really good quality rod and reel set up, you know, or, or waders or, you know, really good Gore-Tex rain gear, whatever it is. My philosophy has always been buy the best and then it's going to A, last, B, it's not going to fail you when you're there and you're going to be able to continue using it. So to your question, Tucker, I would say, you know, the first type of trip, your first bonefish trip, you know, your first trip to Kamchatka or Alaska, let's say you're going to have a little bit of a steeper buy-in curve on getting that good equipment. But then from that point on, then it becomes much more about the trip cost. And then, you know, some of the ancillary and terminal items like, you know, new leader and tippet and flies and things like that. But you have the big stuff out of the way. Now, of course, we all know that one of the greatest things about fly fishing travel is, you know, people do like that gear prep. They like that, you know, the consumerism aspect of like, oh, you know, I've been hearing about this new rod I want or, boy, those new waders look super sweet. And so that is kind of part of the fun. And people will continue to, uh, you know, add to their kit. Uh, I always say with fly rods, it's, you know, it, it's not having your quote unquote rods where you have one or two. I mean, it, over time, it kind of becomes a quiver, right? It's oh, like absolutely. You know, a bag of golf clubs. You know, you're not just going to go play with two clubs. Well, you're and it's a lot more fun when you show up at a destination, you have a lot of options and you're not pigeonholed into this. And I think, yeah. you know, when it comes to gear, I think the people put so much emphasis on the big ticket items, the rod, the reel, the waders. It's the littler stuff where I think that things get nickel and dimed a little bit more. And it's really to the detriment of the experience. And I think, you know, for me, the biggest one is flies. You know, if you're going on a trip for the first time, you need flies. I mean, there's only one way you're going to connect to a fish and it's the fly. So it's, it's the cheapest thing that you're, you're purchasing. It's a, a, a two to five dollar item. And don't let that be the... But I mean, unless you're fishing <laughs> yeah, for alligator right. guard and you go buy some rope at the hardware store, I mean, there's yeah. no other way you're going to make it happen. And you're, right. going, you're most likely going to places where that category is not well represented, at, if at all. And if you don't have the right stuff, you're not catching fish. So, you know, I mean, it's, you know, you go trout fishing for the first time, you go buy those 12 flies and it's for a day. Well, okay, if you're going to fish for six days and you're going to buy a dozen flies every time you'd go fishing, well, go buy six dozen flies. You know, bring in your fly box if you've gone out before so that we can make sure that we're, you know, really diversifying your selection. But I think flies is the one where we see far too many people not being willing to give themselves the options that they're going to need. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's disappointing to see because you, you know that they're not as set up for success as they could be. That's a big point of it. Now, let me ask you this. So you make the investment, especially in these bigger ticket items. Um, you go out, you buy good rods, you know, high-end waders, really expensive sunglasses, whatever it might be. Give us some tips to ensure that you're protecting this investment. Uh, once you invest in good gear and equipment, how do you protect it? How do you ensure that your gear uh, is going to function for future trips? And you know, an example of that is you go bone fishing, you're down in the salt water, you get off the boat at the end of the day, and you've got to rinse all of your gear after it's been in the salt. That's kind of common sense. That's an easy one. But how about some other uh, tips for you know, protecting that investment that you've made in gear. So I'd say one in the, in the soaking, the reels or washing the reels is most people will just, you know, the guide on the last day is going to hose off your gear. You're going to go grab it off the rack. It goes into your rod sock, whatever you go home, then it goes in the closet. One thing to keep in mind, soaking the reels when you get home is always going to ensure that really you're getting everything out, pull the spool off the frame, put it in your sink, leave it there for a couple of hours, pull it out, dry it out. You're good to go. With certain reels, if, if your reel frame isn't fully ported, go to your local fly shop and have them pull the fly line and the backing off of there and then let that set aside and dry. What we've seen happen with brands like Hatch and Tibor, for example, phenomenal reels, 
but because of that solid you know spool design that backing just i mean in the bottom it just it's a just a wet sock sitting there and it leads to a lot of corrosion and issues um so washing everything and it's also the things you're not thinking about i mean wash off the zipper on your rain jacket if you took some salt water spray wash off every single tool anything that's metal that touches salt water rinse oh, it, it just off. gets eaten the other big yeah. one is flies i mean don't if you've used a fly in particular you're in salt water don't go put that fly back in your fly box put it aside i mean i've i kind of have a little hook i leave on my boat bag and i put yep. all my flies on there at the end of each day they go into a plastic baggie those go home get rinsed get dried and then they go back into the fly box so you know, the salt water can be just, it can ruin anything in, in an and instant. Does. Oh, yeah. It, 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 I mean, you can almost hear everything corroding when it touches salt. But, you know, a lot of times people don't realize that, oh, you know, your guides took everything on that last day. They hosed it off for you. Maybe they even wiped it down. But they did it with a hose at the end of the dock. It's kind of brackish water. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's not like they're washing it in salt water, but there is still salt in that water. As you said, they go home, they throw it in the closet. It might be damp, but still got that kind of brackish water on it. Six months later, you pull it out. And things are wrecked. And so caring for that gear post-trip is a really big uh, and well, important and organizing. I think it's, we all get home and the, you know, the realities of life hit you square in the face and you've got all these things to be doing. And to tell your wife that I need to go spend a couple of hours reorganizing my gear for my week-long fly fishing trip doesn't go over really well. <laughs> but I can tell you that when it comes time for that next trip, getting prepped where you know where everything is. And this is a practice I, I mean... I learned from experience where I would come home and just throw it away and come back. And it's like, I have no idea what I have. I have no idea what was good. I totally forgot that, you know, the tip of that fly rod was broken. Now I don't have that. Or, you know, the real seat was coming off. So organizing everything on the back end, it's you're, you're preserving your investment that we've, you know, we've already talked about. Now that's um, really good advice. The okay. other one is, you know, when you're buying leader and tippet, now fluorocarbon has, you know, if it's in stored in a dark, dry place it has a shelf life of like 99 plus years so it lasts a really long time if it's on the you know your fish pond headgate tippets you know holder on the outside of your boat bag and the beating down sun off of the deck of a boat that's not going to last 99 years it might last nine months um so you know understanding how you're using it and then you know thinking about that acknowledging it when you get home that you know that spool of tippet was you know on the guides you know dash for the entire time like probably isn't very good anymore the other thing I suggest is when you buy tippet in a shop, whether it's trout or destination saltwater fluorocarbon, write the date on it. You'll notice most companies have a little spot on the spool that says date, where you can have the shop or you do it, and then you know how old that leader or tippet material is. I mean, when people bring in the plastic baggie that has all the leader and tippet that their uncle lent them for the trip, and I mean, it's it's scary sometimes. I mean, I see like Orvis leader and tippet from the 70s. I mean, it's like, holy cow. I mean, this isn't, I mean, this is about as brittle and, as a And twig. that's going to be the one singular connection that you might have to that fish of a lifetime right there. That's it. <laughs> you know, it, and it's 25 years old. So that's, that's huge. So let me ask you this, uh, what gear or equipment uh, or introductions have you seen come out recently, Tucker, in the past couple of years, let's say, that have been game changers for the traveling angler gear and equipment wise? What, what are some of the things that have made travel and destination angling easier or better for the angler? I'm going to, you're going to hear me hit on this a lot and it's why we're called the fly shop and it's flies. Um, you know, when I started this almost 15 years ago and, you know, I opened the Umqua catalog, it was maybe five pages of saltwater flies. Now you open it up and it's, I mean, 50 plus pages. It's like the Manhattan some, phone book. It's incredible. Yeah. But what's neat is they're all, they're, they're fishery driven. You know, one, you know, this crab may work really well in Cuba, 
but it's not going to be the crab you want if you're fishing El Pescador in Belize. So, I mean, it's there. I mean, really, it's a matter of it's not just I'm fishing for permit. It's, well, where are you fishing for permit? Who are you fishing for permit? What time of year are you fishing? For Absolutely. Permits? I mean, it's, you know, yeah, I mean, so I, like, you know, I was lucky enough to go to Cuba with you guys for my first time. And the thing I learned there was there's probably a million different crab patterns that you want to have or you could use down there. But the reality is those guides are taught that the Avalon crab is the only crab that will catch a permit in Cuba. And if you get them to put a different fly on the end of your line, what I saw was the lack of confidence in the guy that, okay, well, this isn't what I was told to use and they're not trying as hard. They're not looking the same way. So it's, I mean, there's, you know, keep in mind that you got to keep your guide happy. And sometimes, you know, they want to see something on the end of your line that gives them confidence and you want confidence in your guide. So flies are a big one, obviously, and constantly evolving. So much cool stuff. Out there. So it's such cool stuff. I think, yeah. you know, rods, I mean, that's, it's the delivery mechanism of the fly we're just talking about. And rod technology is getting a lot better you know sage isn't just putting a giant price tag on their new saltwater rod and saying it's the best it's it's because it's been put through the ringer and it really does do what you need it to do better than that 200 you know made overseas in china option so you know rods are getting a lot bigger and like golf i like to use the analogy of the big golf driver where you know i mean that that was an evolution in golf where a lot more people were enjoying their time because it was a lot easier to hit that ball Fly fishing is doing the same thing. I mean, the rods are getting easier to cast. They're more forgiving. So if you're not a great caster, it's going to give you an extra 10 or 15 feet if you buy the right rod and you have the right line combo. Um, fly line technology has been really cool. I think particularly as we as we look at, you know, saltwater, for example, you know, the no stretch core, like the InTouch series from Rio. All of a sudden, you know, when you're talking about feeling a bonefish biting the end of your line, not having stretch means a whole lot. Um, you know, when you're trying to deliver a, you know, long cast to a, you know, cruising fish, something like the, the SA amplitude line, which is super slick, right? Yeah, those have the been water. a game changer. I mean, it's Amazing. like, I mean, th that added 15 feet to every person's cast, if yeah. not more. Well, and, and now, you know, the fly lines, like the flies, the evolution, uh, it's gotten species specific. So, you know, the taper that you're throwing on a permit setup may be slightly different than the taper that you want for a different species. You know, the core materials are huge. If you're uh, headed GT fishing, well, that tarpon line, believe it or not, may not be enough. Yeah, I can land a big tarpon, but GTs are different as a species. The the areas in which you find them and the obstacles that you're trying to navigate around, big bombies and coral heads and whatnot, you know, they have GT specific lines that are made for that. And and that's been a huge evolution really over the last five to ten years. Well, we what we when it started ten years ago is it was the same fly line that they would just put in a box with a different fish species on it. So it really wasn't that different. It was it was frustrating because it was more things for us to carry when we knew it wasn't doing anything better than the other one. Right. We've gone away from that and now they really are honing it into to the taper. And, you know, the fly line is, is the most underappreciated piece of fly fishing gear, whether that's for trout or tarpon or whatever. I so, couldn't agree more on that. that you know, so I mean, huge, fly line, that, that's a fun one. I think, and, you know, I would suggest that if you're going on a week long fishing trip where you're going to fish seven days straight in, a, in an intense environment, you might need to just a new fly line for every trip. I personally do. I, I very rarely have I, if I'm catching a lot of fish, that fly line is going to be trash at the end of the week. I mean, saltwater species are different than trout. You can't make a bonefish line last for eight years. It's just not a smart move. And all it takes is one little nick, you know, way down in the head of that fly line and you've got a major problem. And I think one thing that, you know, I would encourage every angler to think about bringing with them, fly lines extra fly lines you know if you're not going to use it someone else in the lodge will use it and you'll be amazed you know what one of those is worth when someone is you know 
2,000 miles away from the nearest fly shop. Well, and I, I see stupid stuff all the time where, you know, you're, you're trout fishing up in Montana or in a drift boat, you know, gets pinched in a boat hatch or, yeah. you know, your buddy, you know, leans in with his cigar and burns your fly line in half. I mean, stuff like that happens all the time. So that that's a good one. How about anything new coming out in the year ahead, Tucker, that, that has you excited? I mean, all the reps come through the shop. They're showing you the new evolutions of gear and new introductions. What's new on the horizon that's actually worth talking about? And what are you hearing out there? Uh, you know, let's we'll, we'll just start with rods. I mean, that's the, the category everyone likes to talk about. I mean, you've got the NRX Plus, which is a new rod from G. Loomis that's coming out. We've cast it. It's, it's going to be a game changer. You have rods like the Sage LL for the, you know, if you're going, you know, down to Argentina and fished with dry flies. I mean, this is a rod that you should really look at having. And I think fly rod is really about the application versus the action. And that's something that we've really been preaching to people a lot lately is talk about the application with your fly shop. What are you going to be doing with it? And then ask, is the rod I have really the best rod for that? Because there's some really cool rods out there that most people don't really know exist. And it may just be a different weight and a different length. But man, that, you know, extra six inches or, you know, going one weight down can really enhance your time on the water. And there's some cool things happening in that category. Uh, other good things happening in the wader technology. I mean, this is, I mean, 2020 is going to be a major wader year. You've got New waders from Orvis, new waders from Patagonia. We're really excited about the new G4 series from Sims. I think they've got like five international patents on those two waders alone. So, and they're not just, you know, bullshit things like a waterproof zipper. I mean, it's things that are, I mean, for example, the new G4s has a new patented stocking foot that increases the blood flow in your foot so that your feet stay warmer. So for, you know, guys like me that, you know, if I go to BC Steelheading, I'm probably just going to have numb feet for, you know, a week and then three weeks after like happened last time. This is something that'll be a big game changer for me. Um, footwear keeps getting better. I think particularly in the saltwater realm, you know, whereas we used to have one flats fishing boot. Now we've got, well, are you, are you waiting on coral or are you waiting on sand? Are you going to be waiting the whole time or do you just need something to, you know, throw on real quick? So some really neat options and in the, in the uh, freshwater scene as well. Um, the new scientific angler absolute leader in tippet line is really good. We feel it's going to be a game changer. Um, it's got UV resistant packaging, which is going to make it last a lot longer. It's biodegradable packaging. So, you know, we're not throwing little pieces of plastic away all the time. Um, it's got higher knot strength and higher wet strength. So, I mean, it's, it's better for the environment. It's going to, you know, it's made to last longer and it's made to perform better. It's amazing that leader and tippet companies have taken so long to get to that point, really. But, uh, what a great thing. I mean, it's awesome. the, the, the leader and tippet and the mono and the floral and the packaging and the plastic that we leave all over the planet as we travel the fish. Yeah. So that's pretty cool to hear. Well, and it's also what we're seeing is if, what I'd really like to see is they're developing monofilament that's got a higher break test or the equal break test is fluorocarbon. So, you know, the three benefits of fluoro is always transparency, strength, and abrasion resistance. Well, for all, you know, for me, if I'm going permit fishing, I want to have fluorocarbon. All three of those things are very meaningful for me. But for trout, you know, do I need abrasion resistance? I'm not too worried about that. Transparency, like, Maybe if I'm, you know, on the tailor in the winter fishing a size 24, but ultimately like, you know, having a material that stays around as long as fluorocarbon, having an option that now has a really high break test, like the PowerFlex Plus from Rio or the new Absolute Leader and Tippet from Scientific Angler. Um, clothing. I mean, let's talk about something really not sexy. Clothing's come a long way. Um, you know, not only does it all have UV protection in it to keep, you know, the sun off of you, but it's just made to be so much more comfortable. I mean... You functional. Go, you go fish a you know a button down fishing shirt in Mexico in June, you're miserable. Like you're not breathing, you're sweating. It's just like sticky. Throw on a solar flex from any company out there, and it's like holy cow! Like I'm not even wearing anything. So that's a fun one. 
camo, you know, never really, you know, camo and fishing never really went hand in hand. But, you know, the camo that Sims is coming out with, whether it's their freshwater, saltwater camo. I mean, for certain destinations, New Zealand. I was just going to say, it's, it's huge in places like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to wear it if I'm going to go, you know, float down the Colorado in my drift boat. But shoot, if I'm going to go to New Zealand, heck yeah, I'm going to take every added advantage I can get. Um, spay lines. You know, I mean, spay fishing is not easy. If you think fly casting is hard, go pick up a spay rod and give that a whirl for a week. But they are making, you know, rods and line combos that it's just increasing the distance and success for people, which is really cool to see. And then the last one I'll note is uh, sunglasses. Like Costa's got their new Sunrise 580 mirrored lens. So, I mean, I've got a pair of Sunrise that I wear in the mornings or on cloudy days. And then as soon as the sun comes up, swap them out. This is one pair of lenses that you can wear from sun up to sundown, bright sun clouds. It doesn't matter. It's going to cover you across the board. It's such a crucial piece of equipment, especially in sight fishing situations. God, do not skimp on your eyewear. No, you, you only get one yeah, set of eyes. That's, that's what right. I tell everyone and don't mess and up. And being able to see the fish before you're actually, you know, putting a cast out there over the fish or lining the hell out of them. I mean, that can make the difference right there. So that is a well, often think also piece. Always bring an extra pair of sunglasses yep. with you no matter where you go. Even if it's, you know, if you have a nice glass pair of Costa 580s, go get a cheaper pair of something else that's polarized just so that in the case, I mean, I, I, my, I took my manager Rick down to Cuba with me in one night walking through the hotel walks smack right into a cable, scratches the crap out of his lenses. Luckily, since he wears glasses, he had an extra pair and his week wasn't ruined. But I mean, that can be just a little simple mistake that can make a big dent in your time. That's right. Well, another thing we haven't talked about yet, and it's very much a key part of the travel kit is is luggage and bags. Um, do you guys sell a lot of, of luggage to the traveling angler? Tons of luggage. And you know, this is worth having a quick discussion on this. I mean, some of the key things to think about when you're traveling is, you know, everyone, uh, every company makes those big kind of sexy, easy wheeled bags. All right. Uh, but before you even load it up with your gear, some of these things are, are 15 pounds empty and yeah, you want the convenience of the big, you know, extendable handles and the wheels, but oftentimes depending on where you're going, you got to think about where that bag is going to be packed, how it's being transported. Is it being, you know, shoved into a cargo compartment of a small Cessna or a float plane? Is it going to be you know, riding in a boat. Heck, is it going to be strapped to the side of a horse? I mean, you know, destination angling puts your your luggage through a lot of different scenarios. And you really, I, th I think it's so important to match up where you're going, how you're going to be transported, not just, you know, on, on Delta or American to get to the, the jumping off point. But from there, you got to think about the the luggage and the type of bags that are applicable for where you're headed. And I think this is one of the questions that we, we feel the most and where I think that, you know, I personally have made a lot of headway and kind of a, a good system. So I think to your point, look at the full destination. If you're going to the Amazon to fish for peacock bass, well, that's going to necessitate a float plane that's going to have a specific weight limit that you can't go over. And it's not like you can just throw down a few extra dollars and you're good to go. They're going to say you need to remove weight from that bag. That's right. Um, and, you know, I don't think any of us like just handing over money to the airlines these days for, you know, a bag that's five pounds over. So to your point, I mean, the wheeled bags are great. I travel with them for a number of years. You can organize things really awesome, but they all weigh between five and 15 pounds. Empty. Empty. And I mean, I'd say, you know, I think Fish Pond has one that's about five and you know, the other ones from other companies are in, in, you know, in the 10 to 15 pound range. So it's a lot of weight. Um, you know, it's also, you know, rod and reels, you know, how are you going to get everything down there? I always tell people pack like you're going to lose your bag. That's right. You know, plan on your bag not arriving so that you, you have a backup plan in place 
and you're not left sitting there being like, well, what do I do now? So me personally, I carry, I use the Sims Dry Creek duffel bags. Um, so they're waterproof. I'm going to be putting my, my bag on a boat. If it's going in the back of a pickup truck, dust is going to, you know, can wipe off of it super easily. And they weigh almost nothing at all. Easy to lock so you can, you know, it's, it's secure when you're traveling. I then use uh, the Westwater boat bag. It's not, it's not the Westwater boat bag from Fishbone, whatever their new waterproof boat bag is. Right. Um, that's been my go-to. It's my boat bag when I'm fishing and when I'm traveling, my laptop, my camera, my reels. That's your carry-on. It's my carry-on. Yeah. And then I carry one of those big rod tubes that I can fit any, you know, I can fit up to eight saltwater rods into one of those things. So that's that's my system. And what that allows me to do is now I've got a lot of usable gear that has multiple applications to it. A lot of customers were seeing travel with the, you know, like the Dakota or the Safe Passage rod reel carrier bags. And those do really well at carrying all of that gear. But then once you get to the destination, it doesn't do you much. You can't it sits in the lodge room for the week. Uh, you can't put yeah. it in the hole of a, of a flats boat. It doesn't, you know, no captain's going to want that in the cockpit of a boat. So it's kind of, you know, lost gear, so to speak. Well, and another key thing about luggage is the waterproof factor. And to so many places, again, whether you're headed to Alaska, whether you're headed to South America, especially jungle fishing, you know, your bag might sit out there on the tarmac or, you know, waiting for the camp boat or the transfer boat and it's pouring rain. And so having a waterproof element is crucial because, you know, you've got a lot of valuable gear in there. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, heck, I've been on trips where, you know, we, we've swamped boats trying to get into camp and all of a sudden everything that you have in there, you know, it needs to be protected. If you like the stuff you have, it's not a bad way to go. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, the Cordura bags, uh, this point was brought up the other day, which I really liked. You know, they look good, but throw them in the back of a pickup truck, drive six hours in Patagonia and look what the dust will do to those Cordura bags. It I've been to very few destinations it. where my luggage wasn't completely abused and mistreated through the transportation process. That's right. And it gets back to what we were saying at the beginning. Uh, you know, invest a little bit more in quality luggage and it's going to pay off for you. It's going to protect your gear. It's going to keep it dry. It's going to keep it safe. And, you know, coming and going from these destinations is a big part of the overall experience. So let me ask you this. Um, give me three pieces of gear that traveling anglers routinely forget. It doesn't just have to be the obvious ones like, you know, rods and rails and, and the hard gear, but some items that are oftentimes overlooked, but really helpful when you arrive at your destination or when you're traveling. Nail knot tool. There you go. I mean, it's one that no one thinks about, but in a crunch, you can do so much with a nail knot tool that if you don't have it or you don't, I mean, tying a nail knot without a tool is pretty complicated, but you know, if you blow the loop on the, on the end of your fly line, nail knot, you know, you need to, you know, make a loop on the back end so that you can do a good bimini for your, to your backing. Well, you can, you know, nail knot your own loop. So there's so many things. Emergency that, tracheotomy, whatever you need. Whatever you may yeah. need. Um, glue to that extent, you know, having some zapagap, whether it's, you know, things break and having the ability to fix it in the field has been, a, you know, I found that to be really uh, And leader helpful. cuts as well. Absolutely. Great to put on your fingers. Well, to that uh, finger yeah. protection, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to any destination where you're going to be stripping a lot using, you know, textured lines, which are super hard on your fingers. It's also, you know, the in and out of your hands getting wet and dry for so many days, it just kind of breaks it down. So I found, you know, stripping guides can make it a lot more comfortable on day five or six when you're not trying to avoid getting that line and that, that burn groove you've got. Um, I personally think, you know, most people don't like taking boat bags with them. I think a boat bag is whether you're going on a drift boat or you're going on a flats boat or you're going in a dugout canoe in Bolivia, a bag that's going to have all your stuff that's waterproof, it's right there, it's organized. That's been a huge game changer for me. You know, your your waste pack doesn't really work that well. You know, having a 
you know, a roll top dry bag that's in the hole of the boat. Well, that doesn't do you a whole lot. So the boat bag is one that it travels really, really well. And I have yet to find a destination, whether it's steelheading, saltwater, trout, jungle fish, where I haven't had that boat bag right by my side. So um, you're saying my, my black leather fanny pack, just not as functional. Listen, days. fanny packs are coming back. We all know. I mean, I, I live in an urban <laughs> so, environment. So it's rollerblading. I mean, it, well, yeah, yeah I, I guess. I mean, okay. you never thought it would happen. But no, I, I think that's one that, you know, and then it, it's, it's an applicable piece of gear when you get home. I mean, if, you know, I use my boat bag when I'm on my boat, but I also use my boat bag in the back of my truck because I'm not the guy that wants to have every fly box I own on me at every point in time. So it's a good storage mechanism, whether you're throwing stuff in your, your uh, you know, closet or garage or, you know, taking on a trip with you. And then as I noted earlier, the extras, extra sunglasses, extra fly lines, you know, things that you can't get, extra medication, extra cash. I mean, keep in mind where you're going and what you have access to and make sure you're prepared because, you know, shit's going to hit the fan on some experiences. You and I have both been experiences when it's happened. And having the pieces in place to be able to react to that situation that means a lot and it, it can not only save a trip, but it can save lives. That's right. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to, I'm going to throw a lightning round of quick questions at you. All right. Uh, advice from the, the gear and equipment expert here, uh, quick 10 to 15 second answers, your preferences. I, I want to put you on the spot a little bit, uh, rod tube or a combo rod reel carrying case. What's easiest rod tube. All right. There you go. We talked a little bit about that. Uh, personally, your favorite species to target on a fly trout. There you go. Uh, extra spools or multiple reels? Which well, are you bringing? Multiple reels. Extra spool. It's a Band-Aid fix is what I like to call it. I mean, when you're on the flats, you know, and you you can't be swapping out a reel to go target a different species. Right. So extra extra reels as opposed to spools. Uh, coolest new small gadget or small tool that makes it easier for the angler? Global rescue. Ah, there you go. Wasn't expecting that. We've talked a lot about that in our programs. We're big fans of that. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, you had your own personal experience, you know, using it. But I think it's we and we I was asking my staff about that question because it's that's a tough one. Like, is there something out there that really I think for any trip across the globe that is the add on that you're not thinking about that you should? And I think that's the one that gives you peace of mind, security. And that's for yourself, for your loved ones at home. Yeah. And it's, it's just, a, you know, it's a good add on for any trip. And they deliver for sure. hundred percent. All right, coolest place you've ever visited? Bolivia. Bolivia. Fly selection. Buy at home, at your local shop, or wait until you arrive? Ideally both, right? I mean, I think, you know, particularly for trout, I mean, you go, like I used to like to use the Bighorn as an example. You you know, the the five shops or whatever are in Fort Smith now are likely all selling a lot of the same stuff. The guides are using the same stuff. I found a lot of success in bringing something from the outside that the fish maybe haven't seen before. So, you know, go prepared, go visit your local fly shop, you know, that has expertise where you're going, get their expert advice, buy some flies. If there is a fly shop at the destination, go ask them questions. You know, it might just probably going to reinforce some of the flies that you already purchased and they may have a couple of options. Maybe it's a special pattern that one of their guides ties that, you know, you can't find anywhere else. You can pick a few of those up. That's if you have the option. If you don't have the option, always buy at home because at least you have security, you know what you're getting there. There you go. Uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but leader and tippet, how often do you replace it? For me, I mean, I think at a bare minimum, once a year, everyone should be replacing all of their leader and tippet. For for destination travel, it's about marking those spools, making, you know, kind of, you know, you're probably not going to need to replace everything at once. But if you think you need to replace it, if it's all, you know, in question, replace it. All right. Traveling with gear and equipment as an angler, uh, what's your favorite airline to travel? I would have to go with Delta. Okay. 
And uh, lastly, the destination at the top of your personal bucket list. Where haven't you been yet that, that you're looking forward to fishing? I would have to say Kamchatka. There we go. All right. Well, good questions. Now, I'm going to close things out with, with a couple more, but you know, you guys take care of thousands of anglers and customers every year, people that come into your shops. Can you give us three great hacks or insider secrets that can make someone a better traveling angler when it comes to gear and equipment? Let's see. I mean, I think this is a fun one. I, you know, we, I, I thought a lot about this and, you know, wanted to give it, you know, all the different times I've been able to travel, you know, what have been the things that really have, you know, accentuated my time on the water. Um, my best hack, grab the napkins at the breakfast table in the morning, <laughs> particularly for saltwater. If you, you know, I don't care what lens cleaning mechanism you have, it does not work. It, it won't work. It's just going to smear it. That absorbent natural, you know, napkin just grabs everything off of it and your glasses are clean in a heartbeat. So whether it's, you know, grab a few, you know, rolls off the paper towel or the breakfast napkins, all that stuff works really, really well. Um, you can never have enough flies. Doesn't matter. I mean, and it's, it take all the flies you don't think you're going to use. A great story I've got is so I was down again fishing with the manager, Rick in Cuba. I just brought a bunch of poppers with me, not really thinking about it, but just why not? You never know. And big school of jacks coming through this channel, throw the popper out there. And instead of one of the jacks coming up, an 80 pound tarpon comes and crushes the popper, jump him six different times before he pops off. You know, an amazing experience, an amazing connection to that fish that we never would have had if we wouldn't have, you know, had that opportunity. Um, day one of any trip is, is between you and your guide. It's your first date. You know, you got to think of it. You're, you're feeling each other out. You know, don't, you know, you don't come in there being too, you know, needy, you know, understand, ask questions, you know, ask about their family, kind of build a relationship because, you know, particularly in the saltwater game, you and the guide are a team. And if you're not on the same page, then you're, you know, things aren't going to happen. So making sure that you understand them, they understand you. That's always a good way to get your trip Especially off. Especially if you're going to be spending a week with this person, you know, eight to 10 hours a day in the boat. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, and and the opposite of that, um, and and I'm sure you've seen this over the years in the shop. Can you give me three examples of people just blowing it? What I mean by this, or what are a few common gear mistakes or prep failures that people routinely make make when it comes to destination angling? You know, things that end up costing them a, a really amazing big fish, or creating headaches while traveling, or or costing time and money. Uh, give us some examples of that. Practice or lack thereof. I yeah, mean, we you, talked a lot you about need that. to practice. I mean, if, if you're not prepared for the trip that you're about to embark on and what it's going to, you know, necessitate and demand of you, then you're already setting yourself up for failure. Um, another one is know what you're getting into. I mean, I, I like my first time in Brazil, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And by day seven, I was just com a complete mess. I mean, from, you know, not, not taking care of myself to not understanding the physical demands to, not drinking enough water one day. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you don't know what you're getting yourself into, you could get yourself into a bad situation. And that's just a matter of doing some research and some legwork before you head to a destination. Well, and this is why we use yellow dog. I mean, we've been a proud partner of yellow dog for gosh, I don't know how many years or, you know, now over 10 years, Jim. And it's because, you know, we've always viewed you guys as the travel experts. We're the gear experts. And if I'm going to set my, send my client out on a trip, I know that you guys hundred percent from, you know, point A to point Z are going to dial them in. You're going to make sure they understand what they're getting into, what the limitations are, what they need to be expecting. And then it just, it, it's success. I mean, it makes everyone happy. It's plug and play. You're not having to think about it. Um, and I think the third one is don't be that guy. 
we we've all been around we, that guy. you know and i think you know you can I'll, I'll let you interpret it as you will <laughs> but we've all if you haven't been to a lodge you will encounter that guy and if you've been to a lodge you've encountered that guy and just don't be that guy you know you're you're normally living in a communal environment you know we're all there to have fun but just don't be that guy that's uh, such good advice and you know not enough people say that but that's so spot on well Tucker, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for sitting down with no, us Jim, on this. No, Jim, thanks for having me. We really appreciate it. And that's it for another episode of Waypoints, the podcast that is 100% dedicated to travel, adventure, and exploration. As always, be sure to visit yellowdogflyfishing.com to plan and research your next fishing trip, sign up for newsletters and new podcasts, and stay up to date on the latest travel news, developments, and equipment news. Join us for the next episode of Waypoints, and remember, life is short and no one ever regretted a life of adventure. This has been another episode of Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel and adventure angling. Thank you for joining us, and be sure to visit yellowdogflyfishing.com for more trip updates, travel news, expert advice, and adventure profiles.